0: Welcome to Teachers Care Society, the podcast that talks about on use and development in the educational field. We have a good show for you today as I'm joined by Alexis Jensen, a teacher from Dallas, Texas, as we'll be discussing teacher burnout and how to prevent it. So without further ado, let's jump right in. All right, welcome back. Our first guest for today is Alexis Jensen. She's a teacher from Dallas, Texas. She has her degree from Western Governance University. She has also a degree in, in interdisciplinary studies. She has an ESL in K-12, through science in K-5, a gifted and talented education in K-8, through and she's been teaching for three years. Alexis, really quick. Why did you enter the field of education? Like what made you want to jump and be a teacher?
1: So I've always wanted to be a teacher. Um, It's been my dream since I was four. So I always knew this was the path I was going to go down. It was just a matter of getting there. So um, of course, my reasons changed from just wanting to boss people (laughs) around at four to wanting to help kids. But this has always been the dream. And here I am.
0: For you, was it a good experience or a bad experience that made you want to be a teacher?
1: Well, I I think a good experience. When I was in kindergarten, which is when I was four, my kindergarten teacher would read um, with these like hilarious voices. and I have like vivid memories of this. So that should tell you like how amazing she was. And so I went home and read to my stuffed animals and started telling people that I was going to be a teacher. So um, yeah, good experience. I haven't had all good experiences with teachers, much like a lot of us. But, um, yeah, I want to make a difference, and that's the
0: reason I'm doing it now. Wow, that's pretty neat. So let's go ahead and jump in in our first topic. So our first topic for today is Vancouver had their welcome back to school. They opened up their school, and they were under very strict guidelines as teachers were still providing online instruction. And as everyone knows, the most recent numbers is about 51% of teachers leave the field within their first, their first five years because of burnout, stress, and just anxiety altogether. And teachers are feeling they're working unpaid over time and just trying to motivate students and trying to create content for both in class and online. So you can imagine it's extremely stressful trying to teach double the workload. And recently, the vice president of a It Teachers Association is trying to slow down teachers' workload to pace themselves because Ever since this is COVID 19 and everyone went to distance learning, teachers immediately put all their efforts, everything they had, straight into distance learning. And it is like boxing. You wanna you wanna pace yourself the whole 12 rounds and these teachers just burn themselves out immediately, putting everything out, trying to try all these new resources, these new ideas, this new curriculum, all this new content. And because of this, yes, you're putting your best foot forward, but you don't have enough energy for the rest of the school year. And Basically, what's happening is it's harder for teachers to prepare and teach from school than home because of their shift hours. And at the end of the day, this means teachers are taking all the work home, which a majority of us are doing. But now they're taking even more work home. So you, Alexis, as a teacher, how do you prevent teacher burnout?
1: So I definitely do not. (laughs) I've been told multiple times that I'm burning on both ends. Um, and I think that, like, like you said, just to echo that, a lot of teachers do that. But that's just like my personality. I really do enjoy learning and enjoy working. Um, and so I'm always trying to find new things to learn about. And so that sort of drives me. And I don't think I'm going to burn out for that reason, maybe for other reasons, but not <laughs> that reason. Um, but I do relax when I need it, though. So.
0: I mean, I the whole back back to the thing about boxers and the whole 12 rounds, I try and set boundaries. Um, you know, like I'm going to get this done here at work. This doesn't come home with me. Or you know, for those of who, those of you who have a partner or a spouse and, you know, you, you want to make time for your family and you always make that promise. know i think you know i'm not gonna do this i'm gonna spend this time for us but i mean look at (laughs) look at how it's working for me so far i just sometimes i'm up late until 9 p.m 10 p.m and that's just the way it is and i'm unfortunately that sacrifice comes with my family and they've learned to accept me they learned to accept that's the lifestyle right now hopefully it doesn't like this in this new school year but that's just the way it is and these are already stressed out with health and safety protocols and just imagine trying to implement them for students this is going to add a lot more stress you know you want to tell the students wash your hands hand sanitizer six feet apart mask on all these different expectations that we want for them how do you stay consistent with the safety expectations in the classroom
1: yeah so i think that definitely Sticking to those expectations, it can be so easy to say, oh, you guys are doing so good today. Let's just forget about this one rule. Of course, that won't be the case for COVID, but it can be with expectations at the beginning of the year. Um, But going to this year, it's going to look a lot different. And I think that's for a lot of the kids is it's going to Feel, um foreign alien to them to be wearing a mask and to be around their friends and not be able to hug them um but i do that during the first week of school it's always the first week of school i'm pretty strict about it the first week and then it just sort of establishes itself um this year we're definitely adding in washing your hands at least twice <laughs> a day staying six feet if possible which let's be honest no one's going to be able to do that with our small classrooms um, But doing that as much as I possibly can, washing hands on tr- transition before and after lunch. I honestly can say I have no idea what this is going to look like. I'm still planning, and I'm totally open to suggestions. But what is that going to look like this year for you?
0: Well, for me, it is yeah very similar to you. So being strict in the first two weeks, just getting those routine downs, like you said, washing the hands. And I'm going to be honest with them. You can be very straightforward, especially with the other kids, letting them know that you want to be safe. This whole social distancing. It's not because yeah. we want to and we're not doing it for fun. You know, It's not this new game that we're trying. <laughs> it's for safety, because you want to do it about for love for yourself. You want to protect your family. You want to protect your teachers. You want to protect your community. This is all for love of everyone. And what i originally thought was having some kind of checkup list at the front of the classroom and this checkup list could be like all right did you hand sanitizer okay did you wipe your desk okay so just let many check list before we do an activity that requires us moving from one place to another or maybe an activity that requires us to be a little bit uh, closer together in an area where will have the the mask on as well so it's just a checkup list and then i'll i'll try to have this checkup list on their desk as well kind of like a mini mini whiteboard version and kind of like a quick checkup all right class check uh, whiteboards up and they'll put the whiteboards up and i'll be able to visually see uh where everyone is at like oh sarah still needs to wipe down her desk or oh jimmy's all ready to go you can line up at the door and, and head out so some kind of visual check-off like that will come in handy. And lots of reward systems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Lots of phrase, although this phrase will look a little bit different. So an elbow tap, a foot tap, an air high five. And so that's what's going to be look different as far as phrasing. And I know things are constantly mm-hmm. changing. So what I might implement in the first two weeks could change <laughs> by the third week. As, as you can see in the news, how quickly things are changing. So I just got to tell yeah, the kids, like, yeah. you guys got to roll with the punches. Like, Absolutely. it may look different from day to day as we're trying out new things to be safe, new things that the school's changing, new things that even the state is changing. So I need them to understand that I'm not trying to confuse them. It's just that new safety protocols are always being implemented. And depending how well our state or our county is doing with flattening the curve, things are going to look totally different. But I do want to be consistent mm-hmm. with what's in the classroom and what's at home. So I might send send home some kind of pamphlet, letting the parents know, like, this is what we're having in the classroom, because I'm sure parents want to know what, what the safety measures are being done to protect them. So I'll send some kind of pamphlet home, letting them know, like, this is a routine to get in the classroom, to get out of the classroom. Uh, arriving at school, eating as well, because we're going to be eating inside the classroom. So if I let the parents know, it'll kind of ease their mind a bit, letting them know like, oh, okay, this is what their teachers are implementing. Maybe they can practice the same thing at home. So it's not something totally foreign. Um, Maybe even sending this pamphlet home before the school year starts. So that way the students and the families know how I'm going to be running the classroom in terms of safety protocol. I'm sure the school district, yeah, I'm sure the school district will send something out in general, but each teacher is going to have it a little bit different. So I would want to send something home for me because not all classrooms are the same. Uh, And again, every teacher is going to be teaching a different grade. So if I teach fifth grade, it's going to be look totally different from kindergarten. So Just having those safety procedures as far as cleaning lists and hygiene sent in advance will be a big advantage. Uh, What do you think about this?
1: I think a big advantage for you is that you're self-contained and so you're not doing that switching. And so you're going to be able to set and maintain those boundaries for your kids so well. And that will be a huge help this year as far as um, setting those procedures because they'll only have you to look to for those boundaries and for those procedures those first few weeks.
0: Yeah so I know their schools are also trying to see if the younger grades can be taught outside so I don't know if that's going to be in the playground or out on the grass or just even what's available for certain schools because edging kindergartners first graders second graders inside a classroom, they're going to want to touch everything. That's the way they learn. They they touch manipulatives, they touch yeah. the models, they touch everything. How they learn is through the sense of touch. And this leads to the topic number two, which is what teachers are stressed out about the most with their students. And Essentially is that teachers are worried about four different things. The first thing is they're vulnerable students falling behind. Now, this, is, uh, this has already been happening. Like the learning gap has already been widened ever since the COVID-19. So those last months of school, the, that learning gap has increased. And particularly for certain populations, for ELLs, for special needs, And this also leads to magnified inequalities in terms of the communities and school districts where families are at. Not everyone has the same resources and budgeting. And another thing is whenever this Mm COVID-19 happened back in, for me, it was March, there were confusion about how we're going to do this, which learning platform we're gonna use? Are we gonna use Google Classroom or we're gonna use Microsoft, etc. Uh, Canva? And this can be overwhelming for teachers because this can be too many things all at once and too many things even in a short amount of period because when we transition to distance learning, it is about are we all going to be using these resources? As if is it for teachers like, all right, go, go fish and go try for yourself, go see what happens, what works, what doesn't work, and then report back to me? And then the principal might say, all right, after a week of you testing it out, let's see what actually works. And That can be overwhelming, as you can imagine. And there's also uncertainty from the administrators and families because things, like I said, are constantly changing. Administrators could be saying one thing and then the governor could be saying something else entirely. And the mayor could say this. Uh, The board meetings, the families could give their input saying, we're not ready for this yet. Can this option be available? So. Things are always changing. Teachers are ready to go. Teachers want to know what the game plan is so they can go in the classroom, start prepping the best way that they can and not worry so much about like, OK, so I got to take all this down again. Oh, OK, I got to rearrange the desk. So teachers want to know, because if you can imagine families stressed out, imagine how teachers are feeling stressed out. But for you, Alexis, what are you stressed out about the most?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you touched on almost everything there in that in your um, talking about this. But kids depend on us for everything. Education and schools have always been sort of like the backbone of society. People have always said, um, our kids don't have enough to eat. Okay, great. We'll provide free and reduced lunch. And so they provide on us, they, they rely on us, sorry, for everything from food to safety. And I think that, um, just my kids alone, when I think about my district and my, my, my kids, so many of them are from lower socioeconomic homes. And, um, my heart goes out to those kids because. Every summer we worry about whether they're at home without their parents, without supervision and just sort of, or with an older sibling or, you know, there's, there's a many, there's many different, um, what there's many different ways to look at what their summers, um, are like, but during COVID, they haven't been in school for six plus months when they come back, which is two thirds of the school year. And my heart goes out to them. They, I don't know what COVID looks like for them because so many of my kids are from hispanic families who fear deportation if they're sick so they won't go get services i just worry about that basic stuff because that comes before learning like if you look at i think about like maslow's hierarchy of needs and like if you don't know what that is if you're not a teacher and you're listening thank you for listening first of all but maslow um his name his name was abraham maslow and he's a psychologist and educator and basically What he theorized was that in order for individuals or students to reach their full potential or basically just to learn, they have to have so many things, a variety of needs that are met. Um, So if you look at a graphic of this, if you're Googling this as I'm talking, wonderful, it's shaped like a pyramid and it describes those needs from like the most basic things we need, like physiological needs. All the way up to self-actualization or being able to learn. And so, what happens in the bottom of the pyramid is that you need physiological needs, like being able to breathe. You need water. You need food. You need sleep. Those are absolute basic things, right? The next thing kids need is safety, and that's pretty self-explanatory. We need to feel safe in order to be, in order to learn. Um, and then we need love and belongingness. Again, pretty self-explanatory. We need to feel like we belong to some group and we are loved, but this can be met in a variety of ways. That's with your family, within your school community. It's like um, there's a multitude of ways that can be met, but it can also be met in negative things like gangs. Um, and the final two that kids need are esteem, which is a respect from others. They need to feel respected and they need to have self-respect. Um, and then we can reach our potential to learn. So when I think about my kids and the front loaded stress that I have currently, um, I'm just worried that their basic needs may not be being met. And because that happens before learning, this is always on the forefront of my brain during summer, but especially now when you think about Um, COVID and what their lives have looked like for the last six months. It's it's honestly heartbreaking. Um, But just from a learning perspective, if you just think about just my job, which teachers literally never do, um, I'm worried about the kids who weren't able to initially log in, or they didn't log in frequently enough, and the gaps they're going to have, like you said. um, And I know I said it earlier, but they've been out of school, not out of school because schools remained open online, but they haven't been in a classroom setting for six months. And we already see gaps during the summer. Parents are already um, buying them. I don't know if you remember, but those little workbooks you'd work on during the summer so you didn't fall behind or forget things. And so I just think about all those, um, the gaps they're going to have. And I have to look at the ways I'm going to combat that. And so I'm looking at maybe getting like a clicker system and having them each have their own remote response and lots of formative assessments. I mean, I don't have a state assessment to rely on for this year to tell me where they're at. So I'm trying to figure that out right now. But, yeah, there's a ton of stress that comes from teaching and especially now.
0: Yeah, for me, I... I see the struggles that are in the classroom. So I always worry what happens once they leave the classroom, that struggle getting a home as far as like struggle getting food, especially for families where there's more than one child. Usually what happens is the older child takes on the, the parent responsibility. And sometimes the older child is just is 10 years old and you worry like how, how it's going to happen, how that environment is at home and I worry because yeah we are in my school district the one stable consistent factor in their lives and that was taken away from them and who's watching them who's taking care of the students who's getting food who's prepping Uh, and so I worry about this all the time and yeah the learning gap is still there and particularly my area a lot of parents don't speak english and we try our best to accommodate by providing resources in their native language but at the end of the day there's just so much that is causing me that's causing all the stress for me and that leads to the second thing about inequalities in the school districts for example i right here in la county you have all different kinds of school districts, so you could have Long Beach Unified and then you could have Alice Verdes, which is a really nice school district. Uh, you have Manhattan Beach, another nice school district. You get, and then you get Compton and you have Gardena. And so you're these districts are only separated by a few miles and you can already see the inequalities between crossing the street and the different school districts. Do you Um, see inequalities between your neighboring districts? Or maybe have you talked to your teacher friends about that?
1: Oh, man, Um, I think this is a massive topic. Um, And I think that that's something that's been drawn a lot more attention to in March when we started seeing the Black Lives Matter movement. I think a lot of us got to see that video. I don't remember his name, but he put out a video talking about um, the differences in districts. And so I think more people are drawing their eye to that now. But it's always been there. And in regard to COVID currently with our current situation, um, I see massive inequities for the entire machine in a school district. Um, So this doesn't even just touch our kids. This touches our parents, our teachers, our staff. Um, We're seeing parents right now are being given surveys that say, would you like to have your student participate in, in distance learning or in school learning? And of course, in a school where 90%, and I mean that, 90% of my kids are low income and their parents are more likely to be essential workers, my kiddos are way more likely to have to check that box that says yes to in-school teaching. Um, and so this puts them at more risk for COVID. Their parents have more risk just because they're out and about working as essential workers and then they're coming into school and getting that contact. But it puts our teachers and our staff At a completely inequitable risk if you're working in a lower socioeconomic district. But like, what does that look like for, for schools that have more funding in neighboring districts, in neighboring districts that have higher property taxes and therefore more resources in a COVID scenario? This means that larger amounts of empty classrooms are available to them, which creates the ability for them to be able to socially distance. So they may be able to separate kids in groups of 10 versus in groups of 20 for a classroom setting. Um, And I think we talked about this, but we were talking about um, inequities in our district, but your school wasn't even getting once a week janitorial needs. And so schools that have more funding are able to take care of those needs on a daily basis, and therefore high contact services aren't going to be as big of a deal to those teachers and those students. But even ignoring all of those things, um, their parents are more like, sorry, the parents in the higher um, funded districts are less likely to be deemed essential and so they have, they have the ability to work from home which makes it easier to allow their student to choose distance learning and that lowers not only their family's risk for COVID but their whole district because less kids are in school doing in, distance, doing in school learning. Um, but I've honestly, Albert always felt that other areas have always had higher property taxes, and so they've always had better resources. So if you look at it from like a non-COVID standpoint, on a day-to-day basis, prior to COVID, um, in areas like tech and STEM, better-funded districts have have. I wouldn't say always had the access, but more likely had the access to -to one-to-one technology, um, which makes them more technologically literate, which means they're going to be, um, they're going to know how to operate in an educational capacity. They know how to Google search to be able to research for an essay. They can present information concisely. They can use an Excel sheet to make a budget. Um, but why does that matter? Why, why am I touching on tech so hard? Um, so there was a recent study from Harvard that found a direct connection between a student's technological literacy, which I just explained, just basically means they know how to use that tech in an educational setting, and college readiness. So that means students with less access at a younger age with to one-to-one tech will be more college ready in grade 12 as they appear in a better district and a less district who did not have that. Um, But a great thing, and I know that's hard to find the silver lining in COVID, is that a lot of districts, particularly mine, have had to get a near one-to-one tech ratio. That doesn't mean that every kid's going to have a laptop, but they should. Every kid will have an iPad, whatever they deem they need in that grade level, they should have this year which I'm extremely, I can't tell you how happy I am to hit the ground running with teaching and teaching them about that tech, maybe starting a programming club. Um, But honestly, I could keep talking about these inequities that our students face, and it's definitely not a perfect system. The education system is always looking for ways to improve, and they should because it's not perfect, and it definitely does need improvement, um, like getting our students tech. But what are some things that you've noticed?
0: Well, tech is a big, big, big factor, because when we transitioned to distance learning back in March, we were worrying about, A, not everyone has access to a computer or some device that has internet internet access on it. And so we had the Chromebooks, but we had an X amount of Chromebooks. And so it came time to strategize. So. Say, for example, a family that had three students enrolled in our school, do we provide a Chromebook for each student or are they going to have to share? And if they share, then they got to figure out the meetings for the Zoom meetings for each of those students because their teacher might have them all at the same time. So we just had to learn how to divide the Chromebooks, how to rationalize all that. And the younger grades would get tablets because the first and second graders don't know how to use a keyboard yet. So they would use a tablet and touch screen. But obviously when the school comes back, whether it's in person, they're eventually going to have to learn how to use a keyboard because eventually growing up, you know, keyboards are going to be on the main use of typing on their devices, whether it's a laptop, a Chromebook, a computer. And uh, yeah, the whole thing about technology one on one, that's a big factor. And in my area, it is a Title I district. And the thing is that happens is parents might not be able to donate a lot in terms of money. Every teacher has a wish list, but they'll be more than happy to donate their time. So before this whole COVID, parents would be willing to donate time to come in the classroom to help decorate, whether it's go on field trips, because that's all they could afford to donate time. And with this going forward... I don't know how much is going to be provided by the district and how much I'm going to have to spend out of my own pocket. And I will not be ready. I will not feel comfortable asking parents for funding. So every teacher has an Amazon wish list. I might not have one this year because I'm really going to be asking a lot from the parents. Everyone's struggling, and I feel it won't be appropriate for for me because a lot of the parents and families are on the free or reduced lunch. They're struggling. They're essential workers. They they fear. About their safety, so I'm not gonna do that this year because that's just another thing they're gonna be stressing out about. And the whole thing with tech, I wish that every district had enough money in their budget for tech to provide for all their students. like for example, hate the gifted and talented education and just even stem or steam. That is not available to the younger grades at our school district. That doesn't actually start until middle school. and then some school districts say, well, it doesn't start till high school. And you can already think of the advantages. Yes, exactly. You already talked about the advantages having GATE at a younger age instead of having GATE until they're way older, middle, or high school. And all the years that they missed out, that student could have been bored in the classroom. All these resources that could have been provided, but weren't provided because the school district didn't have the budget to provide these tech resources. And yeah, I've heard stories about teachers being able to teach with anything. being able to have like a robotics classroom using recycled material and cardboard and toilet paper rolls. But still, as far as tech-wise, not every district has the resources and funding for that. And that leads to the next topic about resources in the schools. Is it you're looking for them on your own or is the school providing them? Are they saying a piece of paper saying these are what's available this is a budget that we bought this is what we use or it's just again it's going to be like last last year where or earlier this year where you go looking on your own for the resources i don't know how what was what was with you so how was it then
1: Mm-hmm. So last year, we I mean, it's I think it's the same every year. And I think it's kind of crazy when you think about this idea. But teachers have always had Amazon wish lists. And if you just want to touch on that, um, teachers are always afraid to sort of or like embarrassed to ask for those Amazon wish lists. And so going into this year, that changes big time. Not, no, no teacher is really going to feel comfortable about bringing that idea up to get resources from their parents. But for the district, it's always just sort of been what's in your classroom. Um, or just basically what's available, you can request things. You can send an email to your principal requesting, oh, I need this many book boxes. I need, you know, I I need pencils. I need this or that. Whether you get them is a different story, um, you can request all you want. And I've heard a lot of teachers, not just in my district, but in other district districts that have just said, they send an email and they never get a response. And so they buy it. Um, but if you're talking about, um, the beginning of COVID and the, how I, I don't know the word I was inundated with resources. Everybody felt they had the best. I got more than a hundred emails saying, and look at this. And the subject time was enter digital resource here. Like it was just, Oh, here's this, here's that. So there was a million and one different directions. You could have gone with digital resources and um, I ended up using mostly Prodigy, YouTube, uh, yeah, Prodigy, YouTube, Zoom, and then Google Classroom, and those were constantly changing because again, it was an imperfect system, and we had just started doing that. I think going into this year, um, going into this year, although we're not starting off with digital learning, if it were if it were needed, I'm hoping we're a bit more prepared. Um, but yeah, it's always sort of been like, you can request it, but there's no guarantee that you will get it, unfortunately. Um, and I think more on that subject, that's kind of insane when you think about that for a moment, if you're not a teacher and you're listening to this, I don't know whether you're a business analyst or whether you work, um, if you are a garbage collector, you're given a vest to wear so that you can protect yourself. It was a fight to even get PPE in the classrooms this year for teachers. And it's always been a fight to get resources for teachers. Teachers have always gone out of pocket to get the things that they need. And especially we've talked about inequities um, between lower and higher socioeconomic school districts, but it's always been that teachers have seen a broken system. They see their kids, they see them hurting and maybe not getting food, or maybe they don't have clean clothes, whatever that may be. And they say, well, look at these other districts. They have so much. I have to do something about this. And that's just, that plays into teacher burnout. We talked about how teachers are always going above and beyond for their kids. Um, but when you look at how much money teachers are spending per year trying to make this dream happen for their kids, to make it equal, to make it fair, to give them the best, because that's what we want, the best. We're taking advantage of, and that plays, again, into a huge Part of the burnout of one of the lowest paying college degree jobs there is for saying look you're a nurturing person you're a nurturing nurturing teacher you get what you think your kids need if you absolutely need it if it's absolutely necessary for teaching like pencils you're going to get it but if you need something like whiteboard markers and your whiteboard markers died maybe you don't get that and it's absolutely insane that a business analyst be handed a laptop, business cards, or anything else they may need to do their jobs. But teachers, just plain and simply, are not given the same treatment if their school does not have the funding. So um, looking for resources has always been something teachers have done. But going into COVID, <laughs> we're doing a lot of that. What does that look like for you in recent times, Albert? The whole
0: thing about resources is... The district will only provide you a certain amount, but then it's up the teachers to look for the rest. And I know you mentioned teachers spending money for their own supplies and for their activities and things that they want to run that the school district won't provide for. So this is just an average. This might be more for you. But on average, a teacher will spend about $500 to stock their classroom with supplies. And then it might be an additional $600 for games and activities that they want to do. And maybe an additional $10 a week for paper towels and disinfecting items and everything with hygiene. And then maybe even thirty another $30 for stuff like ink cartilages, uh, laminating. And if a teacher wants to celebrate with their classroom, whether for a spirit day or spirit week or an accomplishment that they did, or even just to bribe, which I'm, I'm sure we've all have done, like bribe them with... You know, we'll do a pizza party or we'll, we'll have cakes or anything like that. And a teacher might spend another 30 to $50 on that. So as you can imagine, a teacher spends a lot out of their pocket to motivate the students because they want the best. We want to deliver the best instruction that we can. And this is pretty recent, but the governor of Florida, uh, Ron DeSantis, on Wednesday signed a law basically going to increase the minimum salary for teachers towards forty-seven thousand dollars and five hundred forty seven thousand five hundred dollars and that is a great thing to hear but out of that new boost uh, for the teacher salary how much of that is going to go straight back to the teacher spending their own money for resources yes it's a nice idea that you know they she signed a law about 500 million dollars plan to boost the minimum salary for teachers but Out of that boost, out of that pay increase the teachers are going to have in Florida, how much is going to be spent back into getting resources and supplies for the classroom? Because going to this new school year, a lot of this stuff is going to be one time use only. And it's up to teachers to being creative, how much they can stretch that budget for to make it last again and again. Whiteboards. Yes, they can be used again and again. As far as cleaning this, the sprays, disinfectants, wipes, hand sanitizer, all this is going to be dispensable. It's going to be used one time only. And I have to think about what's the smartest way I can spend my budget, how I can keep these students safe. And I'm not sure how much I'm going to be spending this year on the classroom. And yes, I could apply for grants. And yes, there are fund reliefs that can help out. But think about. Who gets access to that? Who might really need it? Because I feel bad applying for some things like funds and there's, you know, there's all these resources. But these resources are from yeah exactly because there's a big pool of resources, but we're all fighting for the same resource. And I know some of the families might need it more than I do. And that's that's unfortunate. And. That leads to the second topic about teachers getting overwhelmed, getting stressed, just being bombarded with all these new resources. And, of course, I don't want to have to pay for a lot of things out of pocket, but it's going to happen. And me getting bombarded with all these new resources, it is going to lead to stress and how are we going to handle that? How are you going to handle All this, all this stress with all these new resources?
1: I have, I don't think any teacher has an answer for this. I feel like that's a fair question to ask, like, how are you going to handle it? How are you? So it's sort of like research, right? So when you start doing a research report, they say, make sure that your resources are in fact factually based and that they are of merit, right? I have to go through so many resources and decide whether that's actually worth my kids time, whether it's worth my time Um, and spending. You talked about spending on classrooms and like talking about digital resources or just resources in general. I'm always looking for resources for my classroom. Always, always, always. I think every teacher is, whether that's for the problem of the day or whether that's for star prep for our students, we're always looking for things for our classrooms. Uh, you talked about what that's going to look like for budget-wise, and I think that's something that I wanted to touch on. Was we always have these budgets in our mind? Teachers are like, "Okay, I got a forty-seven thousand dollars pay raise, like, or forty-seven thousand um, is what I'm making now versus I don't know how much they were making prior to that, but." My The year I did student teaching, my school district gave a, I want to say it was a $5,000 increase in pay. And immediately my mentor teacher went out and spent that $5,000 on her classroom. That just shows you how, I don't want to say selfless, but selfless teachers are. You're always looking, you said you feel bad applying for grants. We have this Mother Teresa attitude that we probably don't need it as much as others, but I, I'm i always looking at resources. And I don't, I feel like I could talk to you about this for days, but um, I'm always looking at budgeting too. So I have, and I think that all teachers should do this, an Excel spreadsheet that tells me how much I spent on engagement, how much I spent on like celebrations, like you were saying, a pizza party for my class or supplies. A lot of these things are gonna be one-time use for kids. And, um, I don't necessarily know specifically how I'm going to tackle that. I know that I'm going to be buying a pencil pouch for each one of my kids and putting supplies in that and they're responsible for that. But beyond that, I don't have a lot of answers as far as where I'm getting resources from, because I know it's not going to be grants and I think that the reason for that is because when you apply for grants, you're waiting a year plus to get that. We are at—I am three weeks away from the school year starting. I'm spending this money. There's no way around that. Um, but I feel like this was a jumbled answer. I'm so sorry for that. No, no, no. <laughs> but resources—resources resources are always going to be something that I'm looking at trying to obtain for my kids because, again, we always want the best for them.
0: You bring up a good point about. Tissues for any requests for certain items, and it takes up a, a long time to get it, and you don't have the time. So you end up just buying it yourself, hoping you get reimbursed. And that's what's going to happen now. You. As soon as you're in that classroom, as you start, you said you you said you start in three weeks, right? Yeah. So we start in three weeks. I'm sure the first day in the classroom, you're gonna realize, oh dang, I'm gonna need this, I'm gonna need that, and you're gonna put it in requests, and it's gonna be a while before you hear back from anybody, and so you're gonna to have to go to your local Target, Walmart, etc., and you're gonna to have to buy that certain item, that certain supplies, and. That's stressful too. I mean, teachers do put up the ultimate sacrifice. You know, their time, and you know, teachers are risking their lives when they're going to be having this in-class instruction. And we've all heard the sad stories about how, unfortunately, teachers had COVID over summer through summer instruction. And recently, there's an Arizona teacher who sadly passed from COVID nineteen, and other teachers tested positive for COVID who were in the same classroom and yes that is extremely sad and unfortunate and this brings up even more worries and stress for the parents and for the teachers how am i going to be safe and i'm not sure i exactly yeah i don't know I don't, i'm thinking i'm trying to I quickly think in my head like is there an answer for all of this and the answer is there's sure not. not and the well-being <laughs> of teachers is important because if your teacher gets sick who is going to teach yes there are substitutes
1: Those are few and far between. On a day-to-day basis, we can't get subs sometimes. So imagine during a time where it's completely unsafe to get access to those substitutes, how many substitutes are lining up to make a third of what teachers make? They're not. Plain and simple, they're not lining up to do this. And to touch on what you were saying with teachers' health and well-being, people always bring up, well, you have great insurance policies. I went ahead and pulled um, different because they have... It's public information. If anybody wants to do this, they can. But I went ahead and pulled benefits across different districts. And the average $0 benefit, which is a subsidized insurance plan for teachers, is about $8,000 out of pocket if they were to be hospitalized, which would mean in a state like Florida... If you do quick math on that, it's more than a... I mean, it's a little bit less than a third of their yearly salary will be spent on hospital stays if they have to. So we're on the front lines. There's not a lot of precautions we can take. And I really just hope that people still appreciate us as much as they did in March when we started distance learning. And they said we should make triple because now we are really taking a massive risk for the future of our society, the future of education and ensuring their progress. And I hope people are able to see what we do for them this upcoming fall.
0: Exactly. Teachers do a lot. And I think parents and families have found a new appreciation just how much we do. There's always the jokes when at the end of the school year when the parents would drop off the supplies and return back the textbooks and the Chromebooks. And parents always made that funny joke saying, I'm a horrible teacher. But the parents saying they're a horrible teacher. And they would say, please take my child back. And all these compliments saying, like, wow, we never we never saw or understood how much you teachers really do. And yes, there was a new appreciation found, but how do they show that you feel it's been lost?
1: I feel that it's been lost. I feel feel personally that it's been lost. I hope that that isn't the case, to be honest with you. But if you look at the way governments are sort of treating teachers at this point, um... I I hope I don't get any flack for saying this, but teachers were being told, you should be making $150,000 a year. I can't believe my kid is so terrible. You lied. My kid is not a joy to have in class, like things like that. And you laughed at them and you were like, wow, they finally get it. And now within, I mean, we're three months past that and we're being told, well, you have to go back into school because we have to go uh, back to work. We have to go back to work. And I get it. Like Like we said, there were times this summer where I was so stressed for my kids that I would cry because I was just thinking about what they were dealing with. But now I'm being told I have to go back into the classroom, or maybe I'm not, but teachers are a whole as a whole are being told you have to go back into the classroom so that our economy can continue. But since when are teachers required for prop to prop up the economy to give kids i mean we're not a daycare we're here to better their lives of course we're here to educate them of course but i feel that 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 um appreciation since march has definitely dwindled and there was something online that said um it was like a meme and it said um the speed in which we went from teachers should be making triple to get back in the classroom even if it kills you is breathtaking and i feel i mean i don't want to say that my district has had that same outlook but um, I feel like a lot of districts have had no concern for their teachers and their health. And I think that's that's scary because we care so much about your kids. And I just hope you I hope that parents or anybody else who is listening to this and isn't a teacher thinks twice and thinks like, oh, gosh, look what they're sacrificing. Um, yeah, it's it's been a lot. It's been a lot to think about. the Well,
0: we definitely uh, we definitely had a honeymoon period where they appreciated us but over the course of the past few days we've been hearing all these things especially in california and they're trying to push i mean right now lausd's decided they're not going to start the school year in class or in person they're going to start off with distance learning and then you look at the neighboring county oc orange Mm -hmm. county saying they want to start off the school year uh, with no social distancing and with no mask you can see the vast differences between the two counties right there in California. And yes, yeah. I am worried about this. And if they appreciated us so much, why would they risk our lives? Yeah. Why would they you know, even think of something like this? And it's crazy to think that this is what it comes down to. There's teacher unions that are fighting against this and.
1: Which are illegal in Texas. We can't unionize. So I think that a lot of the reason, I don't think that LAUSD was like, I don't, I want to play like an angel noise here, but <laughs> like, I don't think the LAUSD was like sent from heaven above and was like, we're not going to open because it's not safe. I'm pretty sure that I read that 87% of teachers in LAUSD's union refused to go back. And that's the reason why they cannot open. It's not that they don't probably did not want to, they just don't have that option because of the fact that they can unionize. Um, and we had talked about like me living in Texas. What that means? What that means in Texas is, unfortunately, we cannot unionize. So we are um, we're not able to make. I, I guess demands it's not a demand but more like a request like what are you going to do to make us safe we can't say anything like that because if we quit or if we resign due to covid we lose our license not just and our retirement moreover our retirement um so yeah i mean it's 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 crazy the speed we went from you are amazing and you are wonderful To why don't you want to go back why are you complaining it's just it's just your health
0: yeah, I, <laughs> and i'm not gonna dive into politics politics too much but the thing that did bother me was that I would hear comments about saying, let teachers get back to work. We, <laughs> we never stop working it's because we're doing distance learning it doesn't mean like, oh, we're not doing the work. We're not teaching. We are still teaching. And this whole thing about the administration possibly cutting funds to schools and even universities that do not have in-class instruction, then you know, we won't give you that money. And people who agree with that saying, yeah, if teachers aren't working or if schools aren't having in-class instruction, let's not give them money. I think teachers are still working just because it's distance learning doesn't mean we stop working. It's just a different form of instruction. And not everyone sees that and everyone understands that. And I'm not sure how to get to them. What is it that needs to happen in order for them to understand that? But. It's just unfortunately the way it is.
1: We touched we touched on that earlier though, when we were talking about like how much work comes home. And in distance learning, you are at home. And I'm sure everyone can relate to this with distance learning or even just working from home in general, you don't have like a start and stop, like, okay, it's five o'clock, let's check out button. And so you work longer. And I think the same thing can be said for teaching because you're at home. Um, even if your workday is technically over at maybe seven or eight at night, you're still like looking through resources or looking through things like that. And so it definitely has become a lot harder to, um, how do I say, um, Sorry, I lost my train of thought. But it's definitely been a lot harder to cut off that point and say, I'm not going to work past 7 p.m. Because normally teachers would say, okay, I'm contracted until 3.30. No one works until 3.30. Let's be real. Um, everyone ended up staying or you know, 4, 4.35. I had a teacher at my school who stayed until midnight one like a couple times during the school year, and it was just insane. So, um, yeah, it's become a lot harder. And I think that that's something that... Um, I think everyone can relate to everyone can say working from home has been harder because we cannot separate work from home. I go from my couch to my bed and my bed to my couch. And so it's become a lot harder to create that divide.
0: Yeah. And Alexis and I briefly talked about what are some things that teachers can do to help with the stress and get students engaged when the new school year begins and just the overall well-being of teachers. And one of the things we said was make learning exciting. You want to keep the students and the teacher engaged as well, because sure. if it gets repetitive and it's the same, you know, students are going to see yeah. that you're bored. They, they feed off of you. They they notice, even if you don't say anything, if you try your best, they see that you're bored, that you're not excited. You're not even passionate about teaching. So You have to make things exciting, as as exciting as you can, while still being safe, to mention that. And some of these things that I thought are are a lot of gamification, a lot of reward system, prize system, a lot of humor. Um, I have dry humor. Kids love it. (laughs) I don't know if the younger grades will get that dry humor, but...
1: Yeah. The benefit of working in upper grades is that you get to have that dry humor and have them like roll their eyes. It'll give you a little giggle. (laughs) And I use dojo a lot. I think a lot of teachers are pretty in tune with dojo, but, and they use it as a communication tool. Um, Going into this year, we're doing a lot of, um, I'm probably going to be doing a lot of giving dojo points and trading that in for either tech time or, you know, a lot of bribery with, regard to their interest. And I think that's something that student teachers are always sort of um, into. And this is something that we didn't get to talk about before we, um, when we were talking about this subject, but I'm always up to date with like the new Disney channel shows or Fortnite or Minecraft. I'm always trying to find a way to engage them. And so um, whether that's, I have to play a two minute Minecraft video in my class to get them to be engaged and learn, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So lots of reward systems, lots of um, engagement based on interest this year. I'm going to try and make it as absolutely normal and also fun as possible.
0: Yeah, you bring up a good point about being up to date with everything. Uh, the, the whole funds of knowledge is a big thing, and but TikTok is a big thing, and I still don't know fully what it is. And kids would always talk about the TikTok <laughs> and the Fortnite dances, and there's this whole thing with I would promise the kids that if they if all the students turned in the work and if they all got eighty percent or better on this test then I would do a certain challenge. I think it was a TikTok challenge where I would dance and they had a lot of fun with that. I mean, I, I made a goof out of myself, but it was fun. It got them motivated. And
1: no, that's the best part about teaching is that you can be a goof in front of these kids. And I promise you, they are just as goofy when they get home. They're the ones that are recording themselves on TikTok. And I think that's I had a partner teacher who did the TikTok dances too. And she was, I mean, it was hilarious, but it really does. Like things like, like you were saying, um, like TikTok, it really does change the way kids look at you. They look at you. Like you're the fun teacher, so that's definitely something we'll be doing again this year.
0: Yeah, and I would have my feelings hurt a little bit when they they struggle getting in on Zoom, but they have and very they easily make all these TikTok videos and integrate all this stuff. I'm like, wow, so. (laughs) you guys are like yes they're they're pretty sex savvy and (laughs) the stuff they want to know and the stuff that engages them which i've learned and that means i just got to tweak my my engagement level and another thing that teachers can do is behavior management and just being respectful uh keeping the expectations well stated and well understood saying this is what i expect of you even as far as cleanliness. You can be strict in the beginning and then sort of ease off a bit later on in the school year. But I think it's harder if you're very loose in the beginning and then trying to be strict later. That's, I think that's a harder way of approaching it.
1: That's a rookie mistake. You don't do that. You don't tell them that you're your friend in the beginning. You're strict in the beginning because if not, and it sounds terrible, um, but kids, learn you just like you're learning them very quickly. And so they learn how to manipulate you if you are not strict in those first two weeks. So yeah, definitely setting those expectations early on is so necessary.
0: (laughs) I even had a teacher friend who told me it was her first year teaching and she would tell the kids, oh yeah, I've been teaching for four years. <laughs> just, to, just to make it seem that, hey, I know what I'm doing. Don't mess around with me. Just because I'm a new teacher doesn't mean I don't know how to handle this and this. And so I thought that was funny. And I said, okay, I see why you're doing that. And she was strict at the beginning and it didn't mess around. She had her routine down. They respected her. And then later on, she would be a little goofier. She would be goofier with her teaching and open up and they already had that respect for her. And that's something I appreciate. Another thing that I recommend teachers doing is sleep, lots of sleep because you can't teach. Well, if you don't get that sleep, you don't get that proper rest in addition to the beauty, beauty rest that we all need. And You said, Alexis, the whole whole thing about setting boundaries. How do do you set boundaries in your household and in your classroom?
1: So at home, like I said earlier, I'm pretty bad at not bringing work home, But um, I try my very best that when I'm having a hard week, I just take that time to relax. I don't know that that's going to happen this year with COVID and um, having to turn myself into overdrive. But setting boundaries in the classroom as far as... Um, are you referring to like classroom management and setting boundaries as far as what they can do and what they cannot do?
0: Um, just, yeah, that way. And also just how I'm, I have an agenda. I have a calendar. I know I have to get this done by this date and I always keep our timers. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. So day to day, as far as setting boundaries go, it became hard. Like I said, I, I put myself into overdrive and I think a lot of teachers do this. And that's part of the reason we're having this episode is, Burnout. Um, and so I had to learn to make a day to day to do list every single day. I start made every teacher has like a massive agenda. In addition to that, I have a um, folder that I date every single day and I make a to do list with all my tasks and then I prioritize them stuff that has to get done by this day, by, by the end of the day, by the end of the week. And so that way I have a better, clearer picture of what has to get done and um, what can get done. And so I think that's one of the only real boundaries I set for myself as far as work is understanding what's an absolute commitment and what is not immediately. Um, and yeah. we have to
0: be realistic. I mean, I I could say I want to get this this and this this and done by four o'clock, yeah. and that's not realistic. I set myself timers. I literally put a timer and saying I'm going to work until this time, no distraction, because I want to go home. I want to relax, and that would, yeah. that's what works for me. Having that. You know, kind of having that like, you know that pressure that I put on myself, kind of like you know, the fire under you know, under my butt to make it seem like I have to do this, no, no messing around. And that works for me. Sometimes I do get disappointed because I don't get the stuff done, but I just gotta move forward. And another thing that teachers say they need for their well-being is financial happiness. And I know we talked about this before, and how about teachers being underpaid and spending their own money. If teachers feel supported financially, whether it's grants or a good thing for Florida, they had a new teacher salary, a new um, pay increase. Teachers need to feel happy, like they need to feel like what I'm doing is worth it. And I need to have enough money to live a happy life. And especially teachers who have families, because I have several teachers where it gets expensive during that time of the year, when it's time to send their kids off to college. And those applications take up a lot of money, and especially if they're applying to a lot of schools, all the SATs, everything costs money. And for the teachers that have families, they want to have that financial happiness, that stability.
1: I mean, that's why you go into teaching or any careers, you want financial security. And so when they don't have that, like in Florida until this year when they got their pay bump, it can be harder to say what I'm doing is worth it, not only for my kids, but for me. That's important, knowing that it's 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 going to put you in a better spot.
0: Yeah. And again, teachers want the best for the students. But at the same time, we need to look at the interests of the teachers because right now teachers are wearing many hats. You know, they could be like a guidance counselor. They could be a teacher. They could be a coach, a tutor, a mentor. They're wearing all these many different hats. And what about taking care of the teachers? Because when a teacher gets burned out, then the instruction won't be as good. And it's a domino effect. Lots of things go into effect. And everything starts to fall.
1: Okay. So we were talking about Florida's pay increase, right? And how they went from whatever they went to, to $47,000 a year. But we, we had talked about maybe talking about budget allocation here. And so what I found when I was researching that specific topic was a number and it's only in california unfortunately they're the only they're they're one of the only states that has this sort of accountability report card if you're not a teacher uh, and you look up a, a school accountability report card or an sarc california discloses how much they spend per student and in the highest paid district and this the per pupil spending is what we're looking at Um, the highest paid district, it was $27,000 a year. And in the lowest paid district, it could be 7,000. Now that includes teacher salaries, right? So then you look at how much they're paying their teachers. And if you look at how much their per per people spending is, how much they're paying their teachers and their outcomes. When you pay your teachers more, your students do better. That's, I mean, I hate to correlate the two things, but that's you look at the better school districts with outcomes of meter exceeded at 91%. And you look at, at school districts that pay their teachers, I mean, like you said, 47000 That's not a lot of money. I can't pull their specific statistics, but in California, that same sort of level of pay is somewhere around 70%. So you can see the differences in just numbers like that.
0: Okay, so Alexis, one thing you said that you were shocked about was that not every district has a GATE program as even as young as elementary, some of them don't even start until middle or high school.
1: Yeah, I thought, I I mean, we were talking about this and sorry to ruin the facade for anybody, but when you plan a podcast, you sort of like talk about the things you want to talk about. when we began talking about GATE. Um, I think it became readily apparent to both of us that there were major differences. I had no idea and it was completely eye-opening that other districts. I mean, I thought it was a national thing that you have a gifted and talented program. So to hear that your school has teachers just sort of pivoting to try and help as much as they can with the gifted kids rather than sending them out for um, resource or um, supplemental work just seemed a bit I mean that I mean a bit odd and just sort of eye-opening. I honestly thought that it was a legal requirement and part of like the free and public education, but that was yeah, that was eye-opening, Albert. I had no idea that what what other teachers face. So this has definitely taught me something being on this podcast.
0: And I guess another thing is it depends on <laughs> school districts. Sometimes the teacher will be the P teacher as well. And then some teach some districts, they have a designated P teacher that comes. For us, I have to be the PE teacher. I don't know if that's the same thing with you.
1: You're the PE teacher? Oh, my God, no. Oh, my God, no. We have, well, I don't know what this looks like this year again. I feel like this episode has so many, like, asterisks next to it. Like, normally, but asterisks with COVID. Um, So, normally, we have our planning period. Do you have a planning period? Are you given an hour a day to plan? Oh my God. Okay. So we have at my school, we have an hour a day that's a planning period. So every grade level goes to what's called specials, and that's PE, music, and art every day. Um, and it switches. So, like, maybe. We have all of our kids divided by letter, So some are A's, some are B's, some are C's. And that's not like a grade thing. That's they're, they're divided by group. And so they'll have a letter. And on that, when that time comes during that day, you will send them with their letter and they'll go to their respective specials. Um so again another eye opening experience but this time we did not talk about that. Yeah no I am not the PE teacher. Um we have PE teachers on campus. I don't know that that will be the same again with COVID because they're saying they're trying to minimize the amount of times that kids switch. But I had no idea that you were the PE teacher too. That's insane.
0: Yeah, some of the PE teachers or some of the te- yeah, some of the PE teachers what they've been doing in summer school is they've been using water guns and that's how they they get their exercise i just run around and see if they can uh, hit each other with the water guns and other games like that and that way they're still outside but socially distanced and that sounds like fun but i don't know how that's gonna work during the regular school year
1: Yeah, I have no idea what PE is going to look like. Um, That's, yeah. I mean, think about that. Like, yeah, the CDC rates jobs at like the most risk you have and the highest is kindergarten teachers. But you don't think about times like PE when they're running around and crashing into one another and, you know, grabbing flags off of each other's waists. You don't think about that kind of stuff. So... Definitely eye-opening to think that there are many aspects to a lot of teachers' jobs that I just don't um, have knowledge of. And so doing this podcast has definitely been um, a professional development experience, as the district would put it, because I'm learning a lot right now.
0: And I guess this will be for another episode, but the sped. They have adapted P.E. and that is all hands on, hands on getting them on the balance board on having them go over beams, uh, go through a parachute. So I did adapt. I was I did adapted P.E. As a, as a sped teacher. And I am going to be really curious to see how that is going to be done, how that's going to be executed because you're going to have to have some kind of physical contact with the students and supporting them with these obstacles, with their uh, IEP goals. So I'm really curious about that.
1: With their balance, with coordination and making them, I mean, get that sort of standard done. And it's crazy because you think about how standards won't be changed. Usually and for non-teachers, there's a set of standards that we have to follow that kids have to learn by the end of the year. And that's why we take a state test. But there's even standards for physical education. And part of that is that they learn how to balance. They learn how to do those things. And so in a special education setting, you have to imagine that there's no social distancing that can happen. And I mean, God bless their hearts. Like they they need that physical contact to be able to balance. They need that. So even more risk for teachers that are in SPED or in kindergarten or doing at all because it's going to be an incredible challenge. Um, but more on the like the COVID end of things, I think it I think the number is somewhere near 30% of teachers are considered at risk for COVID. And so I imagine that part of those teachers are in the physical education and in the sped realm. And I mean, wow, you don't think about these things until they're brought into your into the forefront of your attention. But they really are going to affect our day to day so much. So
0: earlier you talked about how if a teacher wanted to further their education for our education. So. An average, if a teacher pursues a master, then it would get an average increase salary of around $2,000, between $2,000 and $2,700. But if a teacher wanted to go further for their doctorate, the average would be a $10,000 increase. Now, that is a huge difference. But by that time that teacher wants to get a doctorate, the teacher most likely be well established with their family and with oh uh, yeah they'll be well established with their family and their the way of life, so going for that doctor is gonna add more stress and yes it'll be worth it. But not that many school districts offer that much support for, student, for teachers getting higher education. Yes, there's professional development, but as far as stipends or any kind of support for teachers being persuaded or pushed to get a higher education, that support is not always there. And if we were to look at, say, California, a teacher in California with a master's degree would make an average of sixty one thousand dollars. But then if we look at Virginia and particularly the Fairfax School District, new teachers with a doctor's degree earn an annual salary of $55,000. And that's just something to take in consideration. And yes, I know there are different ways of living as so far. I know California is an expensive state to live in and that's something to take in consideration. So, uh
1: but that's, that's considered when making salaries, you have to, like, we have to look at this from an HR perspective and they definitely consider how much we're spending on rent. So they know that $55,000 a year is going to be enough to get by. Is it going to be enough to be affluent? Hell no. For better words, no, that's not going to be enough to be affluent, but that's going to I mean the $55,000 a year, 55,000. Think about that. And any other, and I I just want to make this point to touch on what you were saying in any other job, if you get a master's degree, how much more money does that equate to? I can tell you that personally, my husband's salary went up by $30,000 a year, which over a lifetime is, I mean, if you look at 30, 30 years of work, that's $900,000. And with teachers being you said a $2,000 increase over 30 years, that's $60,000. Teaching is one of the only, and I mean this, I truly mean this, one of the only um, professions that getting a higher education does not equate to a much higher salary.
0: Yeah. And I have a teacher friend who she teaches in Redondo, Beach Unified, but she lives in Carson and she, at one point, there was a policy where it says if you work at a school district, you can enroll your child in that school district. But now that's not the case anymore. And she sends her her children to Carson, and that's a, just another thing to take in consideration because certain school districts might have better opportunities, and a teacher might be furthering their education to get a higher pay raise. But also, they may may be making sacrifices in terms of that time in the higher education. And they want to send their child to the school district they work at, but they can't. And that's unfortunate.
1: It's unfortunate that not only do you want teachers to be at school by seven in the morning, but you want them to drive their kids to a different school district by seven in the morning. It just puts more inequitable experiences in teachers' hands. And this is not... This conversation is not demonizing the idea that teachers should just be given the world. We don't want that. We just... I think that it's important to recognize that teachers do make a significant sacrifice to better their students' lives and it's it's just that the word significant it's a significant sacrifice. We love our kids, we nurture our kids. Sometimes we spend more time with your kids than you do. And that's not a knock on you, but we love our kids, we we invest in our kids and so just recognizing I think that plays a huge part into teacher burnout, giving us the appreciation, the much deserved appreciation and notice that we do what we do.
0: And not to bash on on teachers. I mean, teachers are always going to compare themselves to other teachers, Mm -hmm. whether there's a teacher next door or a teacher across, you know, across the school district. And if you don't do it, might not seem if you don't do as much as the other teacher, that doesn't mean you're a bad teacher. Just you're just going abroad (laughs) it. a different way and again and and yeah and again when it comes to this everybody teaches differently and just because such another teacher does this for their kids and they do this that what's that's that's what works best for them i mean some teachers have families some teachers don't have families so they're able to spend a little bit more money on their kids and on their classroom but it just doesn't mean you're a bad teacher if you don't do as much it's just you're going about it a different way and again you gotta look at your own sanity how much you can do the workload so Don't put yourself down if it seems like, wow, I don't I don't do this.
1: And it can be so easy that I think that like that it can be so easy to compare yourself to the teacher that burns herself on both ends and puts so X amount of dollars in her classroom and constantly has these fun things. It can be so easy to compare. And I think that society does compare and sort of expects that teachers go above and beyond. But don't let that be your expectation. Don't want that don't let that weigh down on you so much that it affects your ability to be there for your kids because I, I hate... This is the only analogy I can think of in the moment, right? But sort of like if your dog doesn't care about whether you are the poorest or the richest person in the world, as long as you love them, your kids think the same way. They don't care about whether you're poor or whether they have the same cool things. They just want to feel loved and feel safe and they want to learn. And so first and foremost, understand that your kids love you no matter what you do for them
0: as as you wrap this episode up is there any advice that you would give to new teachers trying to enter this field especially with what everything that's going on and all this uncertainty is there anything you would say to them just uh I guess like a glimmer of hope, you would say for them.
1: Yeah, take it with stride. Um, don't think, don't take things personally because it can be really easy to say um, your current administration, whether that's school or government level, doesn't care about my life or doesn't care about my happiness but your partner, your colleagues at your school, your parents, they do care. They do appreciate you. And we saw that in March. So just try to take things lightly. Don't take them personally and just take things in stride because it can be really hard. And I know that's sort of like throwing somebody a life raft when they're like a hundred feet away, like taking things in stride It must be so easy, but it's not, but it's something that it will come with practice. And, um, I hope that, teachers are able to do that more often.
0: This has been another episode of Teachers Care Society. I want to say thank you to our guest Alexis Denson. Thank
1: you for having me. I've really appreciated this and I've gotten to learn a lot.
0: And most importantly, to you, the listeners. See you next time.